0: Section fourteen of Birds and All Nature Volume six Number four november eighteen ninety nine. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Tavarish. The Mississippi W. E. Watt. Americans like to boast of the things of this country that are larger, longer, more valuable or more wonderful than anything of the kind in the world. They have recited in school such a number of statements about the Mississippi River that the Great Stream has become one of the essential points of our nation's honor. You may be able to make the average man believe that Washington was not always as truthful in his youth as weems in the cherry tree story tried to make him. That Captain John Smith drew somewhat on his imagination when some 16 years after the expedition into the woods he told the story of his rescue by Pocahontas that perhaps, after all, we did not whip the entire British nation twice in open warfare, but it will be hard to make any native-born American admit that the Mississippi River is not the longest in the world. He may listen to your argument in favor of the Nile or the Amazon, but he will tell you that he still thinks that if the Mississippi had been measured correctly at first, taking the source of the Missouri as the source of the Mississippi, we would have been the possessors of the longest river on earth. And if that should seem a trifle weak, he will at once tell you that the great river is more wonderful than all others because its source is several hundred feet nearer the center of the earth than its mouth. In other words, the river flows uphill. The curvature of the Earth is not the true arc of a circle from the equator to the poles, for the axis of the Earth is shorter than its diameter at the equator by about 26 miles. It is 13 miles less from the North Pole to the center of the Earth than from any point on the equator to the center. So the river flows towards the equator with an apparent fall as estimated from the sea level, but with an actual rising away from the Earth's center, just as the sea rises round the shoulder of the Earth. So the Mississippi is a source of joy and boastful conversation to every citizen of the United States. The Acadian settlers of Nova Scotia whose praises have been sung by Longfellow in his Evangeline, were the earliest to reclaim land from the sea in America. Being weaker than those who used the axe to fell the giants of the forest primeval, they were more skillful with the spade. They took advantage of the extremely high tides of the Bay of Fundy and its branches, and when the water was low, threw up embankments, which prevented the sea from covering part of the rich red mud flats before the village of Grand Pré. At the time of their painful dispersion, they had secured all the land between the original shore and the island which stood out in the basin of Minas though they could not take these rich lands with them in their exile many of them carried the knowledge of dike building down to the lower courses of the mississippi and taught the rest of the americans there how to get the fat lands of the river bottoms by means of levies when general packingham gave up his life and lost a fine british army to general jackson After the Treaty of Peace had been signed in the War of 1812, his right rested on the bank of the Mississippi, where there was a levee a little over five feet high. This levee cut off the waters from spreading when the freshet was on. It was sufficient at that time. Extensions of levee work cut off more and more of the bottom lands from the spread of the high waters till now nearly four-fifths of the area over which the waters of the June Preshid used to spread are protected by these structures. The levees are not now the low banks of earth which once kept the waters back. The great mass of water that comes from the melting of snows in the Alleghenies and the Rockies must either spread out or pile up. Confining within less than a mile of width a surplus of water that formerly spread itself for a hundred miles makes it necessary for the water to rise and rush forward with great violence. Year by year the levies have crept up the sides of the great river, choking it into narrow walls. Year after year it has risen in its wrath and burst its bounds to destroy the cities and plantations which have been fattening in the mud of its alluvial flats. Every year the levies are put up higher And as the works extend to the northward and more effectually close up the southern places of spreading out, there is an average increase in the stage of high water and in velocity of the current. When it was allowed to wander over great stretches of country, the water seemed in no hurry to get to the Gulf, but now it goes tearing madly through its narrowed banks and it has become a question with Congress, which will take much deliberation and experiment as well as great financial outlay to solve. It has been proposed that great reservoirs be constructed in the mountain districts to hold back the waters that are wasted in their rush to the sea. If there could be made in the Badlands in northern Wyoming a reservoir that would hold all the waters accumulating there during the months of spring, that reservoir would skim off the top of the Mississippi River 2,000 miles away and save the people there from the perils that threaten them whenever the water mounts toward the danger point. It would require a vast artificial lake to hold these waters, but there are mountain ranges that could be utilized to form the barriers and the land taken from profitable grazing could be paid for with much less expense than the cost of one inundation of Mississippi bottom lands when a levee breaks. Instead of one vast reservoir it will probably be found expedient to lay out a great number of works for retaining the western waters as well as others in the eastern mountains and some in the beds of other tributary rivers whose sources are in the great basin between. If these stores of water could be utilized for irrigation, it is probable that the works would eventually pay for themselves in the increase in value of cultivated lands. The water at present is largely wasted because it rushes past the lands that need it before their distress of drought comes, and its bulk is fairly spent when they need most of the water that has passed. Adequate systems of reservoirs would also prevent largely the wearing away of banks and the changing of the course of the channel and even of the river itself, which now sometimes tears away the foundations of cities, obliterates landmarks and carries off bodily many well-tilled farms. Navigation could be much improved if the stages of high water could be moderated. The Kansas farmer complained that the Missouri River is too thick to drink and too thin to plow. Control of surplus water near the sources would make this river so moderate that commerce would move along its surface. Varying moods and shifting sands now prevent navigation on that great river almost completely. The Chinese have a problem similar to ours. Their government esteems their board of public works as one of the highest in their country. This board has charge of the canals and embankments along the great rivers. But it is a Chinese board. The Huang Ho resembles our great watercourse in that it rises in mountains and flows for hundreds of miles through comparatively level country in its lower courses. It deposits mud along its way through the Great Plain so that the people are continually obliged to construct levees higher and higher until nature no longer will put up with such treatment and the Great Yellow River breaks its bonds and travels across the country to find a new outlet at the seacoast. In 2,500 years... It has altered its general course nine times with terrible destruction of life and property. Its last great breach occurred in 1887 when it tore through the empire a new channel that caused its waters to reach the sea through the mouth of the yangtze 500 miles away from its present mouth. More than a million lives were lost and the devastation of the country has never been approximately estimated. The gap torn in its embankment was two-thirds of a mile in width. Efforts to close it were ineffective except in low water, And when it was at last almost accomplished, the Celestials had a narrow but constantly deepening breach to mend, its depth during the last days of the work being so great that a torrent 60 feet deep fought with gigantic might against the endeavors of the men. At times the bed of this river has actually stood above the level of the surrounding country, its walls having risen with the rise of the bed due to the deposit of mud, till it seemed as if the great river had risen to take a look over the surrounding plain to see where it could wreak the direst vengeance on those who prevented it from running unvexed to the sea. We may learn from the wide experience of the Chinese that there is no safety for us in merely building higher the walls to restrain the Mississippi. The nation must take hold of the matter with a strong hand. Possibly 40 or 50 millions will be necessary to construct the works, which will moderate the flow and distribute its waters to those who need it in their irrigating ditches. Even though it cost thrice the sum paid to Spain in settlement of the Philippine question, the people would more gladly give it. Nothing short of a great ship canal along the bed of the Mississippi will satisfy Americans. There is but one objection to the work, and that is its great expense. But we have recently seen that the cost of one great inundation along the Brazos was far more than the figures here named, and no account need be made of the loss of life and the suffering that followed that great disaster. Our great river must be controlled, not in the Chinese fashion which we know to be merely the storing of wrath against the day of wrath, But it must be done intelligently and with patience, with faith in ourselves and a determination to prevent the great loss of life, which will be imminent every time there happens to be the coming of a flood from the eastern mountains and another from the western at the same time. Our great waterway, when properly controlled and protected by permanent revetments and masonry, will furnish the farmers of the Great Plains a natural outlet to the sea for all their produce. This will be monopolized by no railway trust, no combination of steamboat men will put the farmer into the hands of corporations seeking to rob him of the best part of his crop on the way to market, for there will be docks along every man's waterfront, and the rudest flatboat will always rely upon the favoring current to bear its cargo to the sides of independent vessels plying the seas to the uttermost parts of the earth. End of section 14